You're listening to Live from the News Dungeon, a nondoc.com podcast. Hello and welcome to Live from the News Dungeon, episode 17. It's been a little bit since we were here in the dungeon last to record a podcast episode. I'm Trace Savage, editor-in-chief of nondoc.com. Angela Jones, you're wearing a fancy sweatshirt. So, yes. It's a little crooked, smiley face. Yeah, it's kinda, how I feel. It's about how I feel, too. Yes. Uh, Andrea Denhoot. Hi. I, My clothes are not very interesting. I like the <laughs> necklace, though. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's a, her signature piece. That's my signature yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't okay. take it off. Are you growing your hair out a little bit? Yes. I mean, Thank it's you for growing. noticing. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done anything about it growing, so yes. I <laughs> wanted to say you looked lovely on our Monday morning Zoom meeting. Oh, thank you. You did look ravishing. Just Zoom is very flattering. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Ravishing. Was <laughs> uh, that too much? Okay. I Not mean, ravishing. I don't know. You look I, pretty. I cut a fair amount of my hair off. I know. It's Trace so weird. Trace's hair looks really good. I'm into the new, the new look. It's yeah. freaking me out. I mean, I'm not saying it looks bad. It's just freaking me out. I look, I think I look younger, right? That's what the consensus seems to be. You just look like a completely different person to me. Just I a s- different vibe. I see our guest <laughs> nodding. Uh, ba- ba- <laughs> Bailey Perkins Wright, uh, what are your thoughts on my hair? I like it. I do think you look younger, but I think it looks good. Put so. our guest on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> Comment on our boss's haircut. I noticed when I walked in, I said, hey, you got a haircut. So. Yeah, there you go. The, uh, the other day at the Capitol, uh, one of the women who works in Senate services uh, said, do you like it? And I said, yeah. And she goes, hey, when you're cute, you're cute. And I was like, yeah. yeah. When I'm cute, I'm cute. <laughs> um, well, Bailey, uh, th- that's an awkward way to introduce you. But, um, we've, we've been wanting to have you on uh, here in the dungeon for a little while to talk about. We were, we, I think we were going to try to have you on in September for Hunger uh, Action Month. And we, we didn't make that happen, but we're... Because I went and got married. Uh, that was right. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, that, it, and, that, and that added to your last name. So, um, But uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about uh, food security or food insecurity and the efforts. Um, you are, if I get this right, I think, the State Advocacy and Public Policy Director for the Oklahoma Food Banks. And there's, I guess, two major food banks and then... Kind of some subsidiaries or partnerships, or am I totally wrong on that part? Tell us a little bit no, about No, you're, you're in the right direction. So um, first of all, I am excited to be on this podcast. I've been um, a supporter and a reader of Nondoc for uh, a few years, and so appreciative of the work and excited to talk about food security. Um, I work with both Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma, which is based in Oklahoma City, and Community Food Bank of Eastern Oklahoma, which is based in Tulsa. And so Regional Food Bank services 53 counties in Central and Western Oklahoma, and Community Food Bank of Eastern Oklahoma services the 24 counties in the eastern part of the state. Uh, But collectively, we're the largest hunger relief organizations um, distributing emergency food assistance uh, to more than, uh, well, all 77 counties in the state and our partner network that gets the food in the hands of Oklahomans who need it um, spans more than uh, 2,000 partner agencies and pantries who are, are able to do that. Um, so, but that's what the the layout of of our model looks like, and and we distribute the food um, to our partners, and then they get it to Oklahomans who need it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, now you've been in that role with the food banks for how long? It'll be two years in December. 
so I, I would guess that the last two years really have been pretty difficult and have stretched resources thin. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the pandemic effect on exacerbating food security issues in the state? Yeah, that's a great question. So Oklahoma has always been a hungry state. We're the fifth hungriest state in the nation, um, and that didn't change during the pandemic. The pandemic just worsened um, food security in our state. Uh, we saw in our partner pantry network about a 30% increase in need, and we saw more people who traditionally uh, haven't relied on food assistance needed in this time because of uh, job loss or um, hours cut and other um, traumas that happened during the pandemic. Um, across the country, it's really interesting because um, when you look at uh, the latest data that USDA released, it showed that hunger only increased about less than a percentage between 2019 and 2021. Um, and our thought process of why that was nearly unchanged is because of um, the different interventions that happened during the pandemic. So um, we'll say the generosity of Oklahomans. So we got a lot of um, donations and supports. We received um, $6 million in CARES Act funding that helped ensure that we're able to get food in the hands of families, but particularly the federal interventions that happened. Um, so um, the direct payments that went out to families helped stop the gap of, of need to grow in a domino effect. Uh, we saw increases to um, SNAP through emergency SNAP allotments. Um, there were flexibilities in programs that the federal government allowed in the previous administration and the current administration uh, that enabled us to feed um, kids and Oklahomans in need um, safely and efficiently. Um, for example, for um, our childhood um, hunger programs, there's a requirement that kids like when it's not pandemic time, there's a requirement that kids have to be um, seated in a congregate setting where they're getting enrichment. And traditionally, if that entity that's serving kids is going to get reimbursed for that meal, they have to eat that food in that facility. And so with the nature of a pandemic, you can't have um, a group of kids in a setting safely. And so we got that waiver flexibility from the federal government to be able to serve meals in a grab and go fashion. Mm -hmm. And that increased our ability to serve more kids and to make sure that people weren't going without, especially when school shut down. Um, so one of our core values at Regional Food Bank particularly is innovation. And that's something that we really had to adapt and shift on with what are the ways that we're able to continue and maintain our operations with the supply chain issues, but also um, the challenges of not being able to have the same volume of volunteers in our volunteer center because we rely on volunteers to help us with um, packaging the foods that then go out um, all over the state to families in need. And so, um, but we've been really able to, thanks to um, the monies that have been brought in from donations, but also the, the federal supports and interventions, um, we've been able to, um, not grow the rate of hunger that it could have been. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say that I know that you know there were probably some silver linings in terms of having to rethink some uh, some things, and then and you were able to get some major donations. You you mentioned that. Um, I think uh, I was looking back at my email, and I believe Ch uh, Charis and Chad Richardson uh, did two million dollars just mm -hmm. themselves, you know, for for the regional food bank. Um, and you know, the, you mentioned when you started, and I don't want to you know just take up the whole microphone here for you guys, but. Uh, that we're, you know, the fifth hungriest state. Um, and it's really interesting because you can go to another circle of a, com we could have somebody else here from the Farm Bureau and they would say, well, uh, Oklahoma is, you know, involved in X percent of food production in the entire country, right? Like we're sort of in this weird, um, you know, position where we have a lot of agriculture. It's core to the state's economy and background. And yet we also have, a high rate of need in terms of actual individuals, children being able to get access to food. So how do you, you know, what, that's my observation. Uh, sure. Am I wrong? <laughs> what do you think? So when we're talking about what causes Oklahomans to be food insecure, it often doesn't involve food itself. Uh, one of the things that many Americans saw during the pandemic, and this was probably like, spring of 2020, where we saw um, farmers who were mass producing like eggs and milk, like pouring out, you know, the yeah. milk and throwing away eggs because they weren't, there were, there were bottlenecks in the supply chain. And so the issue with food security is often not um, the availability of food, but it's access to food. Um, it's also about uh, an economic security issue. There's a lot of Oklahomans um, who are struggling to make ends meet. Some don't have access to a grocery store, right, to be able to get fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, there's transportation challenges because Oklahoma is such a um, widespread state that um, some folks live miles away from, you know, the nearest grocery store, and that prevents um, them from being able to um, get the food that they need on a regular basis. And so um, that's part of the work we're involved in as well, is trying to look at what are those root causes that keep people from being able to eat, especially because the intersections of poverty, um, health disparities, and all of those intersect with um, food insecurity. Yeah, we, we talked about this on an episode um, that we did this this fall when the the new Homeland grocery store opened at, at 36th and Lincoln, and um, I think they are there's a there's a cool program called Double Up Oklahoma. Yes, and that's um, for folks who don't know. We colloquially talk about food stamps, but it's called SNAP. It's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Assistance Program. program. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, I think the Double Up program is for. Um, uh, grocery stores or markets, um, they will uh, honor twice the value of the uh, SNAP benefit um, card. And so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, um, here in, in central Oklahoma City, like we're a big league city, right? And, you know, we've got this, we have an NBA basketball team. Yeah. And it was a really a two, three, I mean, there's years long discussion on how do we get a, a full service, full size, sustainable grocery store with, you know, um, a high quality of uh, fresh foods and variety in uh, an area of town that's 
half a mile from the state capitol, mm -hmm. four miles from downtown Oklahoma City, you know, um, and that was it took a long time. And you mentioned people throwing away. I mean, that's been an issue. Food, food waste. 60 Minutes did a piece on that several years ago. Yeah. And it's astounding how much of the food that's produced uh, either never makes it to the shelf uh, or, you know, is is spoiled to the level where they throw it away beforehand. So I don't know whether you guys do any efforts to sort of address that waste or if there's anything that, you know, can be done at, at, here in Oklahoma. Well, and you raise a whole lot of great points. Um, on, on food waste, we partner with many grocery stores to be able to collect foods um, that they may have in excess or before they expire to be able to take that in and to get it to um, those who may be in need. Um, and we're, of course, we're always accepting um, donations at um, our facility in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, but even some of our partner pantries um, and agencies um, across the state. And so um, for those who are listening, if, if you have uh, food items that you want to, to donate, you know, we're, we're always open to that to make sure we can get in the hands of those who, who need it. Um, you raised the, the point about the Double Up Bucks program. We are uh, working with our, our friends at Hunger Free Oklahoma and the Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy to push for increased funding for that program uh, because we're seeing the great results uh, from it. Uh, recently, um, our friends did a tour in Okima at the homeland that does double up bucks. And they mentioned that not only are they seeing um, an increased amount of produce that they're needing to order because people are, are purchasing them, purchasing them, um, but also uh, they're seeing more variety of foods that people are willing to try because of um, having that additional dollar that they could purchase fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and then people can also use them at farmer's markets. And so um, in order to scale the program, you know, it'll take an investment. And so um, Hunger Free estimates that uh, with a $5 million investment from the state, and then if they can draw down another $5 million in federal funds, then the program can expand to 55 counties in the state. And so just that small of an investment with SNAP not only um, increases access to different foods, exposes families to, to different types of foods than they would have been able to, to try, but also um, keeps our grocery stores open. I think that's one piece of uh, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program that's not often talked about is how much of an economic multiplier it is. Um, the Economists have estimated that for every dollar spent on SNAP, $1.67 in economic activity is spurred. Um, and so um, we love the SNAP program, especially at the food banks, because um, we can't carry the weight of feeding the entire needs of Oklahomans, right? Um, and for every meal that we provide, SNAP provides nine. And so um, it's such a critical um, anti-hunger tool, but also um, an economic stimulator that helps our local economies and our grocery stores as well. So um, just want to lift that plug about why SNAP is important. I have a question about grocery stores, yeah. which I know is not totally your thing, but I feel like you will know. Um, probably a stupid question. So something like the East Side Homeland, or I'm sure like in rural Oklahoma, there's a lot of places that don't 
have grocery stores. And you would think, you know, you're a business person. You'd be like, oh, I can be the only grocery store in 20 miles. Sounds amazing. That would be a great business. Like, why is it so hard to get grocery stores in places? So one thing that I've heard from those who have been in the push over time to get grocery stores in areas that have been underserved is sometimes businesses don't want to be the first because economic activity is often um, grown when there are other functioning businesses around it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's also stereotyping of communities, right, that happens and that keeps certain communities from being able to, to get the things that they need. So some things that I've heard is, oh, well, you know, I hope people don't steal from the store on the east side and things like that, like painting the, the residents who live there, you know, as, as criminal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so once you peel back the stigmas, but also um, demonstrate that there is viability to make a profit, that there won't be a whole lot of losses, then I think that encourages more um, grocery stores to to expand their reach. Um, also, one of the misnomers is that, you know, it's just rural places or, or poor areas, you know, that have uh, food deserts. But one of the things that, you know, we don't often consider is how downtown Oklahoma City has had a food desert. And it's a fairly affluent area, too. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, but the, well, and I think that that cost, you know, I mean, it, there are a lot of market factors at play. Mm-hmm. And, um, th- there is sort of a misnomer, I think. Uh, sometimes grocery store profit margins are typically pretty low. Yeah. Um, I just was just googling that, and between one to three percent, you know, uh, some you know maybe two percent. And so, mm-hmm. if you're thinking of like every dollar, you know, the the profit on that is is two cents. Now, if you then take, let's say, Eastside Oklahoma City or, you know, other communities of color around the country. Um, one of the, you know, a great example of, of in applied institutional racism, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is, you know, when people use that phrase, what we're talking about is things like the, the rate at which you can borrow money to build a building yes. is going to be substantially different at 23rd and MLK versus 63rd and Penn. Sure. Right? Not only are there going to be dozens of bankers wanting to cut that note for something over by Nichols Hills, there may, I mean, we know people, I'm not, I'm actually going to do this story, so I don't want to get into it too much, (laughs) but trying to get a bank to lend to an otherwise decently capitalized and, you know, well thought out, you know, project um, can be very difficult. So if you get, so if the entry level of just building that grocery store in, in a community of color or a, a community that is, you know, has less access to capital, if the entry level for that building is higher, right, then your prices have to be higher. And then maybe your community says, well, the prices are too high. Cause I mean, I'll be honest, like the, the cause home- it doesn't help if the people can't buy the product. Right. So, and, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, factors that go into that. And I'd had a conversation with a couple of people because I was just like, why did it take so long? You know, and yeah. there's a lot of, you know, um, there's, there's not a ton of wiggle room in the, in the grocery uh, mm-hmm. game, I guess, is what I was told. You know, and, and for communities like Oklahoma City, right, 
you have the ability to bring in different um, economic incentives and tax credits and things. But if you're in a rural part of the state, you may not have some of those same tools available to you to be able to help attract a grocery store, whatever the need is for that community. So I think that's another factor, even beyond um, the food insecurity that we see on the east side of town of what it, some of the, the barriers that, that keep communities from getting grocery stores. I would also add for some communities, um, you'll have your large corporate stores that will come into a community and then price out the mom and pop store and then in a couple of years decide, uh, you know, this isn't the area we want to be. We're going to move to the next community. And then it's difficult for or nearly impossible for that mom and pop's grocery store to recover. And so that's another um, scenario that often harms even rural communities from being able to to maintain their grocery stores. Mm. Yeah, the, the dollar, the, the old Dollar General or... or um what is the other one I'm thinking of? Dollar Tree? Dollar I Tree. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. but those stores coming in, and this is an urban and rural mm-hmm. issue, is, you know, comes in a corner and, you know, I hear civic leaders all over the state, you know, quietly bemoan, oh, we got a Dollar General right here now. It's convenient for people to stop, but it does take money away from your traditional family grocery store that's been downtown in that community for 40 years. Absolutely. And, and now everybody's stopping here cause you can buy Fanta for, you know, two, two gallons of Fanta and a pair of gloves, you know, and I got, <laughs> right. you know, that, so there's a lot of, a lot of factors. And it's interesting cause I, I, I credit councilwoman Nikki nice, um, because a few years ago she put in, uh, that six month moratorium from, mm-hmm. for small box stores from developing in different parts because they were, you know, being competitive in that way of, of shutting down some of those um, local community-focused uh, grocery stores and, and other places and playing a role in preventing them from being able to come into communities that, that need them. And so um, I'm grateful that there are more um, hunger advocates in um, elected positions that are able to lift those type of issues and to be able to think about it in ways of um, what's best for the community and being able to, to maintain those, those resources. So I have a a question. If, you know, if people are hearing this and they want to get involved, what, what is the call to action? How can they have the greatest impact donating either food, time, money? What is it? What can they do? So that's a really great question. Um, The Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma, the Community Food Bank of Eastern Oklahoma, and our vast network of partners are always in need of volunteers. And Mm so um, now that um, vaccines have become readily available and and trends are, are changing with COVID, and we've learned a lot more of how to be safe during the pandemic, uh, many have opened their doors again to volunteers. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to um, regionalfoodbank.org okay. or rfbo.org. We'll put that link in the notes. Yeah, or okfoodbank.org for those who live in the eastern part of the state are tuning in. Uh, you can go to the page and click to um, volunteer as an individual or you can volunteer as a group. So if you have a business or a nonprofit or a group of friends that want to volunteer, uh, we always are in need of volunteers. 
um, when it comes to donations, um, we're always accepting people contributing to making sure we're able to, to feed Oklahomans. And so uh, from those same websites, you can um, give. Um, so that way we can stretch your dollars and being able to make sure, especially as we're entering this holiday season of making sure that um, everyone has the opportunity to, to eat nutritious food. Um, I would also, um, from the advocacy side, which is um, the work that I do, uh, we will be releasing our policy priorities later this year or early in 2022. And when those are released, we'd love for folks to read through them and then talk to lawmakers about why SNAP matters and why programs like DUO um, are important to expand across the state to make sure that we can uh, give families more options on food, but also um, stretch that dollar for, for families so they can keep food on the table, right? Um, I think that's the, the, the biggest piece is making sure that, that people are aware of what are those policies that, that help to, to maintain food security right. and having conversations with your, your state lawmakers um, and, and our congressional delegation, because a lot of, of the programs that help us feed people, like the Emergency Food Assistance Program, that brings in um, American um, agricultural products and commodities and gives it to our food bank. So then we're able to then get it to those in need, right? A lot of that ties to uh, federal programs. And so mm -hmm. the funding of that um, is decided upon by our members of Congress. So even having those conversations with them as well is critical to advancing food security in Oklahoma, but across the country. And so those are the three things I would lift is building that relationship with lawmakers, especially as we're getting into legislative session, volunteering your time, but also giving your money to ensure that we can keep families fed. Yeah. especially this holiday season. Awesome. Do you feel like there are any kind of widespread misconceptions or misunderstandings either about just the issue of hunger or about the policies that you're talking about? Like, what are the things that you hear a lot where you're just like, no, that's not the way it is? Yeah, I mean, I feel like one misnomer, especially in a state like Oklahoma, is this idea that, you know, there's just so much rampant waste, fraud, and abuse of programs. When the reality is, is when you're looking at the SNAP program, for instance, the average length of time that a family stays on the program is about 18 months, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is families using the program as a, in the way that it's designed to um, get the food in that time of need when they hit that low point in their life. And then as they're able to recover, when they get that job or when they um, are able to, to have the resources that they need to be able to take care of their families, they're off the program. Nobody's right? thrilled about being dependent on a food bank. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, and even um, with, with other programs as well that help uh, wrap around with, with families to, to get ahead. I think another misnomer is around like people, like to your point that people just want to be dependent on the system. And the reality is, is that they don't. Uh, one of the concepts that we lift is the cliff effect, hmm. where the design of our programs make it to where um, families have to make that tough choice of, do I accept, you know, that extra dollar or two in additional pay, you know, in that, that bonus? Or like at a job, you mean? At a job, yeah. absolutely. Or do I risk my... Um, wraparound benefits that are helping me get ahead. Mm -hmm. We put people, like we cut their legs 
from underneath them before they can get ahead. Um, I had a colleague who told me maybe about a month ago at this point, because uh, we had the opportunity to testify before the interim study on eliminating the grocery sales tax. And she told me that before she took the job that she has now, that she made $50 too much, mm-hmm. $50. Mm-hmm. And because of that $50 that she earned above what she was making, she was losing her child care subsidy and her SNAP benefits decreased, right? That extra $50 mm-hmm. wasn't enough to supplement, you know, the supports that she had with that child care subsidy. And so there's so many stories like that um, across this nation. And so we have to um, restructure our programs to ensure that they're working as stepping stones to help people get ahead versus just um, keeping them in situations that that are difficult. If you could like wave a magic wand and change a policy in Oklahoma, what would it be? Ooh, magic wand time. (laughs) We love magic wands. Let me let you think on that for just a second because what you just said was was really a big part of the the Medicaid expansion argument that that got lost, I think, to a lot of people, right? People, People thought that, Oh, if you're a low-income adult, you already got, you know, Medicaid sooner care services, and they didn't understand that you a had to have a child, and b you couldn't make more than thirty-seven point five percent of FPL, which is it's stupid low, small yeah. right? And so you had situations where if you offered, you know, an employee more time, or what, they would lose, you know, m- more in value of of their health insurance yes. than than that. So that that and you know. And child care and food food benefits and, and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing, you know, the cost of goods and all kind of things increase because of inflation. I saw that I thought mm-hmm. like 6.1% just in the last year, which is like the highest in, in a long time. I saw that on social media just today. Yes. And so that just makes it even more critical that we're ensuring that people have the means to be able to... Um, do the things that they need to do to be able Mm -hmm. to take care of themselves and their families, right? So whether that's ensuring that programs and the eligibility for (laughs) programs align um, with what people need today um, or, and and you asked about if I had a magic wand, what policy I would want to do, I would say raise the minimum wage because the current minimum wage hasn't been changed um, well over a decade, right? And we know that the cost of goods and everything continues to increase. And, and, and Trey, as you just mentioned, you know, the, the inflation rate that's changed over the past year. And so if, if I could do something that would help more families get ahead, it would be raise that minimum mm. wage. Mm-hmm. There you go. Magic wand. Mm-hmm. More money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I so do. Much. I've got another question that might put you on the spot. Um, which we can cut it if 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 there's nothing <laughs> as an aside. You might have to cut that out. Um, do you have a personal story or a success story that kind of paints that picture of of um, when the programs and the policies do work, or you know when the food bank or providing that extra assistance or that extra food? Is there a story that can kind of put like a face on it? Hmm. I'll give an example of, um, it's not necessarily a program, but how to um, assess resources for that wraparound support for for folks who are facing food insecurity. So one area of food insecurity that's often not talked about is senior hunger. We have a lot Mm -hmm. of 
um, of our elderly neighbors who don't have the supports of their families to be able to, to help them. Sure. And um, we know that when people um, aren't able to eat foods regularly of high nutritional value, that could impact their their health. It right? absolutely does. And so yeah. um, one thing that we do with our food and resource centers is, you know, we provide that client choice um, pantry model where they're able to pick foods um, that align with their taste, their cultural values and other things. Um, but also we work with families to assess what's going on, right? What is leading them to need to visit a food pantry? And so for there was an elderly person, and when they assessed what was going on with that person, they noticed that they were spending a lot of their money on their prescription medication, and they were on a fixed income. Mm-hmm. So by the time they uh, finished, you know, paying for the prescriptions that they needed, you know, to live and be healthy, they didn't have a lot left over for um, food and the other things that they needed. And so um, at that Food and Resource Center, they were able to find a um, discount program in a way to cut the cost of that prescription. So that way that put more money in that senior's pocket to be able to to buy nutritious foods or other essentials that the person Mm -hmm. needed. And so I think that's a great example of um, when we're addressing people's needs holistically, it gives them more space and capacity to be able to take care of their basic needs like um, buying nutritious foods. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's the community at work. I love that example. Yeah. Thank you. I have kind of a silly question. We love silly questions. (laughs) There are times where you get donations, either from a bunch of people or one big donation, where you're just like, we have a ton of, like, canned mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And, like, what are we going to do with all these canned mushrooms? Like, is that an issue? Cream of mushroom soup goes in anything. No, that's fine. Yeah, the trash. It goes in the trash. (laughs) You're you're the problem. (laughs) You can make a souffle out of anything with cream of mushroom soup, can't you? Very safe. I don't even know what a souffle is. Yeah, I'm not in the green bean casserole. That's That's what I think I meant. Casserole, casserole, that's the word. Souffle, a cream of mushroom soup. Souffle is, like, really fancy. Didn't you used to work in food? Yeah, but I don't think I had, like, a souffle class. Okay. Or, like, the difference between (laughs) a casserole and and souffle. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we had souffles or casseroles on the menu. So so to answer the question. Anyway. (laughs) So um, a portion of the foods that we receive are those individual canned donations. A majority of the foods that we're able to bring in, we can purchase through um, the emergency food assistance program um, or even just donations that we receive. And so um, when we're able to purchase that product, we're able to get more diversity of product uh-huh. instead of buying right. the, the case of, of mushrooms. And there may be, <laughs> you know, people with mushroom allergies out there, right? Um, and so one of the yeah, uh, things I want... when they go great, you get a real <laughs> weird experience. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and when you look at the amount of food that we're able to get to families, we hit a record number um, as Oklahoma food banks. We served close to 80 million pounds of food just in um, this year, right? And so um, we're able to work with our pantry network to where they're able to select, you know, based on what we have in stock on our shelves of, you know, I see that you have green beans and you have 
um, um, bread and you have just say corn, mushroom. <laughs> mushrooms. You know, we want to order, you know, cases and we're able to um, send those cases to different parts so of the state. So there's less of a kind of like, oh, we we take what we can get and figure out what to do with it. There's a lot more purchasing Distribution. Going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's it's, where yeah. we're really able to 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 meet need and and to do it in a way uh, based on um cuz the 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 partner pantries know what their mm-hmm. clients prefer mm-hmm. and so that helps us to be able when we're making those those selections and we're taking food in um to be able to to get it to the areas where they need it most so to distribute to those are, are there just like trucks going out from Oklahoma City yes. all the time yes so it all it, comes here yeah. and then goes out Yes. So Oklahoma City and Tulsa to serve the the eastern part of the state and then central and western Oklahoma are served through uh, Regional Food Bank. And so it's really neat. We always um, encourage visitors to come to our facilities to see um, our warehouse and how we're distributing food. Um, Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma just went through a beautiful rebranding process. And so our facilities have fresh paint. You'll see... um, the, the big trucks that have the, the logo on it. And when you see those um, going to different parts of the state, they are transporting food hmm. um, to our partner pantries to get to folks in need. So That's awesome. Probably cool. the, the main partner pantry, I, or the, the only executive director of a partner pantry I know is, is Lori Flansburg in Weatherford with uh, Connections Food and Resources. Yeah. They do a lot of really important work in, in Weatherford and I think Clinton as well. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, what I love about our food and resource model, I think for regional food banks network, there's about 13 of them and they all have uh, different community partnerships and other things to be able to meet need. And, and so there are some who uh, partner with a dental clinic or um, are able to provide health services to, to families who may need it don't have the the ability to to go see a doctor in their area and so they're doing some really innovative things to not only just feed people in their in their time of need but also helping to address some of those other issues that cause people to be hungry awesome um so hunger has you know been an issue for a a long time i mean throughout human history and so for our historical nugget this week (laughs) i wanted to uh I was thinking about Oklahoma and maybe, you know, connections to historic, obviously, you know, Great Depression, Dust Bowl here was, um, you know, a, a, a time of time. a hungry time. Uh, but I also thought of the great, uh, the Irish potato famine, uh, also known as the Great Hunger, according to history.com. Uh, and that began in 1845 when a fungus-like organism called Phytophthora, Phytophthora <laughs> infestans, or P infestans, spread that actually, yeah, that doesn't sound great, does it? Uh, I've got that. <laughs> thank That's you. what I've got. <laughs> uh, it, uh, P infestans spread rapidly throughout Ireland. The infestation ruined up to one half of the potato crop that year and about three quarters of the crop over the next seven years. Uh, because the tenant farmers of Ireland, which was then a colony of Great Britain, they relied heavily on the potato as a source of food. The infestation had a catastrophic impact on Ireland and its population. Before it ended in 1852, the potato famine resulted in the death of roughly one million Irish oh, no. from starvation and related causes, with at least another million forced to leave their homeland as refugees. And there is, in addition to just all the folks with Irish heritage, you know, because, uh, I mean, there was subsequently waves of, you know, Irish immigrants coming into America. Uh, but in addition to that, there's a, a, a local, a, a more local connection. Um, and 
it's sort of, uh, I think it's gotten a little more attention in the last few years. The, the Choctaw Nation still has a um, an international uh, relationship with Ireland because um, Choctaw citizens who, uh, you know, in 1847 were, were not, uh, had not been in this area of the country very long following, you know, Indian removal as a formal U.S. policy uh, and kind of heard of the potato famine, collected what, uh, I guess there's some dispute on the value of gold, but um, he collected uh, about 5000 somewhere between 5000 and $20,000, right, depending on how you value uh, the coinage, uh, in, which would be in today's money, um, mm-hmm. to support uh, the Irish during the potato famine. And so on ChoctawNation.com, um, it talks about how the, the Choctaw's donation was sent to the town of Middleton in County Cork, south of Dublin. Uh, and Bryce Holland, our amazing technician, says that there's still a, uh, and resident, statute, uh, a statute. You you are you are a citizen of the Choctaw resident Nation. Choctaw citizen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they 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 did erected a monument. Um, uh, I'm actually I'm looking at it right here. I didn't I wasn't sure when it wasn't actually that long ago. It was only in uh, 2017 that they put it in. It's a it's really cool. They call it Kindred Spirits. It's it's this big uh, sculpture that looks like uh, these these feathers, kind of arrayed like a bowl, kind of. Um, it's a it's a really cool monument. But yeah, they they uh, the Choctaw Nation sent delegations. Chief Gary Batten was there for the dedication of it at the time. Um, yeah, it says here, I guess at the time it was a hundred and seventy dollars is what they brought together. Which in today's money, it seems disputed. Some are saying. 5,000, some are saying 20,000 of what that would be. And it's disputed today, so. because it was like. Well, I've seen, I've seen a few different things here. This thing, this thing, and the, the source. Uh, Tell us what this the, thing is, Brad. The, the, great, the great Wikipedia uh, source <laughs> uh, saying, um, uh, the, it says, while records of the exact amount of the donation vary, the figure usually given is uh, $170 US, um, which comes to about. $4,700 in 2020 inflation adjusted dollars, though some methods indicate it could have been as high as $20,000 in 2015 dollars. That seems like- So a, we just can't even agree on like inflation yeah, dollars. It yeah, like, it seems like we're so huge, divided. Seems like a huge discrepancy <laughs> to me. Um, and then it says in the US coinage of the time, uh, $170 US meant 8.22 troy ounces of physical gold or about fourteen thousand dollars in twenty twenty prices. So, hmm. what's in the feather bowl? It, nothing. It's just it's. Oh. It, I can. Can we see. put some potatoes in well, it? Let me see. We'll, we'll put it That'd in, be the, in the. Here, I'll, I'll hold this up yeah. for you guys to see. But that's. Oh, like. okay. Oh, well, that's pretty. gorgeous. Yeah. I, yeah, that wouldn't really hold any items, though. Yeah. I see what you're saying. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, the world's biggest potato from, <laughs> from Idaho. You could maybe. Yeah. Uh, deliver that. A no, bronze um, one. And, and I. It, you know, I, I guess the again back to ChoctawNation.com, the the sort of relationship between the the nations was uh, rekindled in 1995 when Irish President Mary Robinson visited the Choctaw Nation, and then it, it sort of an interesting note down here, and it says in 2020 the story took a new twist when a pandemic known as the novel coronavirus, or co- I don't know, have you heard of it? Is no. It? Okay. Tell me about uh, it. It caused disruptions around the world. The death toll was particularly acute in the Navajo Nation and the Hopi Reservation. Uh, the Irish stating that they were, quote, paying it forward with their aid from the Choctaws in mind, took up a very sizable donation uh, with which aid was uh, sent to assist those two two nations. So, uh, you know, it's kind lovely. of an interesting yeah. international international nug. 
Yeah. Yes. There we go. Um, Transatlantic. During Native, <laughs> yes, Native American Heritage Month. During Native American Heritage Month here in November. Bryce, I, I have done nothing for you. Can I get you a water? <laughs> uh, a, I'll, be, I'll be all right for now. A, a bowl of potatoes. Um, <laughs> I think we have those. I, I feel like you've eaten a bowl of potatoes in your life before. Yeah, at least the equivalent. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so on that note, we want to get to our famous... Famous. It's favorite. so famous. It's, it's famous, not infamous. Uh, this is want, our favorite segment. We want to do some pod nods. Yeah. And I, you know, Angela has a lot of nodding to do to folks because we've been, it's been a little bit since we've nodded mm-hmm. on the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to start it off by saying uh, we are really appreciative of Bailey Perkins, uh, knee Bailey Perkins, Perkins Wright now. Perkins Wright. Uh, <laughs> Get it right. And we want to thank you for support for several years. I mean, I think mm-hmm. maybe 2017 or yes. so. I mean, I don't know where the time goes, but you've been. Uh, I was re- at the kickoff. You so. were at the, well, you were at the kickoff. That's true. Gosh, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even, that's a blur to me. Um, <laughs> but um, that, that must be where we met, I suppose. I believe were so. Were you at the Policy Institute at that time? Or I was. Or was that subsequent? Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, you've been, been a, a, a recurring Writers Fund donor and we really appreciate your support and, um, just glad to have you on the pod. So a nod to you before we. Yes. Well, thank and you then for the opportunity. just as a thank you for what a supporter you've been over the years, would you mind telling us why you donate to community journalism? I donate to community journalism because I believe in the importance of having the free press to know what's going on, to hold our systems accountable. Um, And I feel that non-doc is a part of that body that is keeping us informed. I read non-doc regularly to stay engaged and informed because so much is happening around us that it's impossible to, to stay in tune with everything. But somehow you guys keep us informed and give us ways to be able to process information and to come to conclusions on our own. And so I'm grateful for the unbiased journalism and the credible journalism that you provide. And I will continue um, supporting the work of non-doc in oh, that way. Thank oh, you, Bailey. Thank, thank you, you so cut much. It, cut it and put it on the radio. Yes. <laughs> I probably will use that quote somewhere. <laughs> okay. So yes, it's time for our favorite section called Pod Nods. And that is where I mispronounce all of our donors' names in an effort to say thank you for donating to Reader Funder, <laughs> Reader Funded Community Journalism. So a big thank you to Dylan Robertson, Donna Walton, Michael Berge, Elizabeth Furnish, Mary Swafford, Rita Geiger, Mary Meacham, Sean and Jennifer Leppard, Joe Evans. We have some anonymous Facebook donations. Thank you so much. And also Don Watson. I, we also want to take a moment to shout out to some of our sponsors. Uh, our, for general support, we would like to say thank you to Home Creations and Fowler Automotive um, that just help us keep the lights on and help us um, keep community journalism alive. And we also want to say thank you to the Oklahoma City Firefighters Local 157. They sponsor our uh, several of our county resource pages. So thank you guys um, for keeping that information to our readers free for them. Yeah, thank you so much. We we uh, we're gonna. I think we're gonna have more. We're little spoiler. We're, we're about to record another episode. Two right in one day. <laughs> it's unheard of. And we've got some more uh, donor nods in there. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, I think is that is that all we've got to talk yeah, about today? I'm good. Tapped out. Mm. I've got not tapped out enough that I can't record another podcast. But you know. oh, good. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Trace. No, you're fine. I've, I've got I've got one more question. Oh, oh, one more thing before I forget. <laughs> oh man, I ruined everything. <laughs> so I, I somebody's do, got to. I do want to say that I think soon after the last episode, I uh, saw on, I only have rabbit ears TV. And I was flipping through, you know, 43-4 or whatever it is. And I saw an episode of the new Columbo. Do you remember when they brought Columbo back with like a different filming style in like the late 90s? Oh, okay. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, think yeah, yeah. this may have been even referenced on the, the pod. It's off-putting though, isn't it? it well, it wasn't bad. It was, it was, it was sort of a, it was an episode... Uh, where he had his, he, he sort of ended up uh, in this like rave club over and over again. Was it just like a, a one episode, like the Friends reunion type I, thing? No, it was like a, it was. They just started it. They again. started again, but it had a different, it was, it was fresh. Yeah, it was, it was fresh. Peter Falk which is driving not... his crappy little beat up car. Peter Falk, like significantly older Peter But, <laughs> but also ah, looked yeah, like he had yeah. a shower or something. Right. I was like, no, don't take a the, shower. The episode started with him like smelling the deceased person's breath. Uh, to determine it was not a suicide because he had just uh, gargled with mouth wa- mouthwash and cut his toenails. Yeah, uh, you know, which is not the thing you would do before you off. That yourself. is so detective that, work. It was. It was really. It was. Yeah. So I spent two hours. I wasted two hours <laughs> of my miserable life with that. Uh, so <laughs> I have one more. Is this going in dark? Is this going to a dark place? Where are we going? <laughs> well, it, it is literally getting. By the time we. Re- finish recording today it will be dark it will be because dark. of daylight savings time or not having day i don't even know which one it is but this is it was a fallback right the, the fallback i don't know I, why I don't know. just like i don't know why everybody running for governor right now is just not pledging or president i feel like you could well, just <laughs> well congressman mark wayne mullen has a bill on congress about allowing i guess sections of the country decide whether or not they want to Continue with involvement with daylight savings time. That's so, that's great. So we just got everything. like this is a Swiss cheese. <laughs> we have we have we have jurisdictional issues in eastern Oklahoma already. Why not just have everybody on their <laughs> own different time? Times there are already a couple like Arizona and I think Indiana yes. don't have. Yeah, this Indiana is true. Yeah. An, an awkward awkward vote, but we could just mm-hmm. have the board. Every board of county commissioners can vote like what time they want it to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be, I like that. All right. We, we I, I saw that on Twitter. That's the only reason why. <laughs> is that our final question? Are no. we just voting time out? No. Uh, down with time for 2022. We, we just want to keep rolling it back. Just um, <laughs> to be noon in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night. No, my final question is related to food. All of our final questions are about food. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Um, where they circle back. This one is a classic question I came up with years ago. It was actually the basis for the first time Bryce and I attempted to do a podcast uh, it was all the podcast theme was just all about a question, right? So like w- one episode was was like who would win in a fight, Floyd Mayweather versus two baboons, yeah. you know that it was. And we recorded like four of these episodes and we never released them because they weren't all that good. That was probably the best <laughs> one. Uh, yeah, and then and then tragedy struck and the hard drive that they were stored on got. Destroyed. That's right. Yeah. So we we hung around and, and did that, and they were I mean, nothing came of it. But I'm resurrecting them today. Everybody likes beans. Do they? 
Yeah, that seems like a bold statement. <laughs> Find somebody who doesn't like any beans. Let's fact check that. I don't know. Okay, if you if you don't like beans, put it in the comments. Fact yes. error. If a magic genie, you rub a magic lamp. Uh-huh. That's what you do with it. And a genie comes out of yes, the lamp. I love these kinds of questions. And the genie says, I'm the magic bean genie. Oh, no. I can, I can give you an unlimited supply of one type of bean. Jelly beans. For the rest of your life. That's, you, you just, and the, uh, that's the way a magic genie works, by the way. Now you're stuck on jelly beans. I'm just like swimming in jelly beans <laughs> right now. That's all you get. Now, like Scrooge oh, there, Is there a second part to this question? No, that's it. Okay. Oh, you, get, okay. you get an unlimited supply oh, okay. of one type of bean. So okay. this question is basically, what is my favorite bean? <laughs> well, but you also have to take into consideration nutritional value. Right. Um, which what you, else which can you they, clearly did not. Which I did not take into consideration selected. at all. Like what you can pair it with, how many, how, what different types of souffles you can make <laughs> right. out of that bean or casserole, depending on how fancy you are. I mean, you if you are. want to go to business, jelly beans are probably more expensive because beans are pretty cheap. So like jelly beans you could probably sell for more. I'm always thinking of that dollar. <laughs> you I'm always thinking of that dollar. <laughs> Jelly beans, you're, you're just rolling around, handing out jelly bellies. Just, uh, all the sponsors. I thank you to our sponsors at Non Doc. All you get is jelly beans. But what if it was like the grass flavored jelly belly? I just got like a lifetime a supply of grass flavored jelly. That's a terrible. Is one. it a bad one? Yeah. It's better than licorice. Yeah. Okay, that's true. That's, anything's better than Jaeger, that. Jaeger, Jaeger flavored yeah. jelly beans. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, back to ba a really Bailey, serious question. Though. Bailey, Andrea, you guys have not. Uh, you guys have not rung in your Jeopardy buzzer and screwed up yet like Andrew has. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm decisive. Thoughts? The only bean that really comes to mind is <laughs> like black beans because I eat them at like Qdoba and, mm -hmm. and uh, Chipotle. It's a great and It's bean. always solid a bean. solid bean to go to. Probably so be my second choice. I can mix it in, you know, salsas. I could... All the things. You know, do all kinds of yeah. different dishes with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so not lima beans. Should I go through all the ones I don't like? <laughs> yeah, no, right, yeah. Navy bean. Not butter beans. Red bean. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this like bean? Is it bean? This is like the end of uh, Best in Show yeah. where, where Harlan nuts. Pepper's naming nuts. Yeah. Pine nut. Pine nut. Almond nut, walnut, peanut. My mama be like, Holland, you just naming nuts. What's wrong with you, boy? You just naming nuts. How many beans can we name? I mean, I think I could probably name a lot of beans. Um, I was going to say black beans because I feel like it's the only bean I eat regularly. I like a kidney bean, though. So. I, now, that is, if I just have to go on like a bean that I don't get enough of mm -hmm. and really enjoy, it's red kidney beans. I Those are my, but I don't think I want those. As For the, the rest of your life? Right. Yeah. It feels like. I would actually go with kidney beans now that I'm thinking about it because um, when I do cook, I cook Indian food a lot and there's like Indian food stuff you can make with kidney oh. beans where I don't know of any black bean recipes. Okay. Apparently allrecipes.com says that chickpea is a bean. Yes, it is. Okay. So, you so could, it should be called chickpea. If you want to go hummus, if you want to go hummus, you can go with chickpea or garbanzo bean. Yeah. But if you want to dominate the world markets, which is what I want to do, mm -hmm. you go with soy. Oh, that's true. So I will be rolling in the dough. Now I know what <laughs> Bryce's answer is, so I want to let him lay it on us because I actually had an experience on this the other day. Oh, no. Okay, so I'll, I'll resurrect uh, my, my answer that I gave uh, years ago when we did this. Um, uh, the bean that I would choose is Sean. 
Wait, you went a lifetime no. supply of Sean Bean? You want have you not seen the film work of the legendary Sean Bean? What does Bean? it mean to have a lifetime supply of Sean Bean? No, I, oh, I, Mr. Bean. When we did this years ago, when we did this years ago, my first pick was Sean Bean. And then I got hassled by everyone and I changed it to Mr. <laughs> what about Fava Beans? <laughs> I so, think, Sean Bean is who I choose. I think I would rather have Mr. Bean. Ew, no. I actually ate in an Indian food restaurant the other day, Taj on 23rd, Sean, Sean and Bean. all they were showing was Mr. Bean movies. Okay, but Mr. Bean Was has, not in Lord of the Rings. M- Mr. Bean has a shtick that wears itself out <laughs> after one city. I know, but that's... Right, so like having so a lifetime supplies, like you have to watch their... <laughs> Acting all yeah, their because, life. Yeah, but, like but here's the great thing about Sean Bean. The man has range. He has been in so many good movies. And I would always, I'd constantly be entertained. I mean, Sean Bean, I mean, he was in, I get to watch Fellowship of the Rain. Yes. I get to watch the first season of Game of Thrones. Look at you go. I'd get to watch. You know what's really lucky is you actually already have a life. <laughs> I know. You don't even need a gene. twist. I think the lifetime access to Sean Bean is that he becomes your butler. And, I'm, I'm and perfectly fine with that as well. He would, he would, bean he would bottle. Yeah. He's a you, bean butler. You could, and you know, if I had a, if Sean Bean were my butler, you know what his name would be? Oh, no. This is a Josh McBee joke. I'm going to steal it. I would, he, he would go by, uh, Mr. Bowlesworth, because he would always load a Bowlesworth. <laughs> I'm so sorry if that was right in the mic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Now, lastly, the, pot the reason I would not want a lifetime supply of Sean Bean is because he perfectly encapsulates what's wrong with the English language. Because his name should either be uh, Sean Bon or Seen Bean. Seen Bean! Now, now, in, <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, the man's birth name is Sean S H A U N. Oh, and his B. agent was like, you know, that what is should do. that is his his birth name <laughs> oh. is S H A U N. Why he changed it to S E A N, I am not Just sure. Just to mess with it's you, like, but it's like a John Wayne moment. Yes, so, uh, that's nobody, nobody wanted to see a cowboy hero named Marion Morris. I mean, listen to this: Patriot <laughs> Games, Golden Eye, <laughs> Ronin. Lord of the Rings, Equilibrium, National Treasure, anyone? <laughs> Silent Hill. He was in Troy. He played Odysseus Guys, he was in, in Troy. Troy. This is wow. a man that has entertained countless people. Yeah. Well, in 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 rebuttal, so, so has have Mr. beans. <laughs> <laughs> so so have, for children who find to to revisit our last episode on flatulence. <laughs> Oh, no. All right. On that <laughs> note, um, any parting thoughts? <sighs> beans, beans, the musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you toot. The more you, never mind. All okay. right. Back, <laughs> Bailey, it has been a pleasure <laughs> for you, I hope, up until the last 30 seconds. <laughs> this has been fun. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, we hope to stay in touch with you. Um, keep us posted on when your policy news comes out, and we'll, we'll make sure that it at minimum gets tweeted because uh, I get more press releases than a lifetime supply of soybeans. Okay, on that note, join us, rate us, follow us, share it. Um, Eat some beans with us. Gripe in the comments. Donate for the end of the year, maybe, if you like community journalism. See Marrow ya. beans, moth beans, navy beans, <laughs> pink nut. beans, pinto beans, rice beans. 
Live from the News Dungeon is a non-doc.com production. Produced and edited by Bryce Holland. 